the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We're right in the middle of Lent, and uh, Lent is a great time for reflection, introspection, and a great time for me to ask you a uh, very fundamental, very foundational question. And I want you, as I ask, I want you to just notice your answer. Uh, I'm not going to, no, no quiz afterwards or anything, but just notice your answer. Take notice of the first thing that comes to mind. Here it is. What do you consider to be the very essence of Christianity? What's the very heart of Christianity? Now, if you think, oh my gosh, this is just 101, you know, like, I don't check out and start your grocery list, uh, because uh, this is, I really think this is actually very often misunderstood. Uh, for instance, you might hear someone say that uh, basically all religions uh, are the same, and, uh, and that can only be true if all religions are uh, maybe simply moral codes. Uh, and, and it, of course, that's true of, 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 across all religions and even those who are not religious, that, that, um, that the, fo- the way that followers are to act is, is very similar. Don't kill and don't steal and love one another and treat others as you want to be treated. That's all, of course, very true. In fact, a woman uh, who belongs to another religion once told me that she was, in fact, a better Christian than most of the Christians that she knew. And, uh, and the only way that she could say that was because she fundamentally understood Christianity to be about uh, moral living, about maybe imitating Jesus. And I, I have no reason to doubt that she was, in fact, more consistent with, uh, about being uh, sort of decent and uh, being kind and living the golden rule than many Christians that she had encountered. The fact that she was yelling at me when she told me that, notwithstanding. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, I can't really speak for, uh, for other religions with any authority about what their essence is, but I do feel like I can speak about Christianity. And I have to say that that dear woman, uh, I believe, misunderstood. Uh, it, that Christianity is, is different. It's, just, it's not uh, essentially a moral code. Now, Christians, of course, should be good people. Right? But it is not our goodness that makes us Christian. It's not our goodness that makes us Christian. Now, both of our passages uh, of Scripture today speak to the very essence of Christianity. And I don't know if you've ever been sitting in front of two big, heaping bowls of dessert trying to decide which one to eat, and really you come to the conclusion the only logical thing to do is what? Eat both, right? I mean, you just got to eat both. And I've kind of felt like that with these passages uh, this, this week, 2 Corinthians 5, Beautifully read by Ryan. Fantastic job. Uh, and Luke 15, reasonably read by Father Trent. Uh, <laughs> just both, just delicious passages. Just uh, two of my very favorite tippy-top passages in all of Scripture. Luke 15, of course, is very familiar, right? The parable of the prodigal son. I would say more properly called the parable of of the rebellious son and his nerdy older brother and their incredible dad. That's, that's really the best title for it. And we're going to use the famous parable to illustrate what St. Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. So St. Paul uh, very dramatically says uh, to us, if anyone is in Christ, that is, whoever 
has by faith aligned themselves with Jesus' death for their sin and his resurrection for their eternal life, that for them, everything has changed. Everything has changed. That, that they are a whole new creation. The old pre-Christian self is gone. They have not been made better. They have been made new. Right? And that in itself should just blow our minds. Because Paul is saying this about you. That if you are in Christ, if you have given yourself to belong to Christ, then for you, everything has changed. We don't always live our lives like that, but you are a new creation. Uh, you have not been simply upgraded. Uh, you have been remade. And, and before God, you are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by your compulsions or your failures or your heartbreak or anything else that you would fill in the blank with. That God sees you in Christ in exactly the way that he created you to be. He loves you. He likes you. And the old is gone. The new has come. New creation. New creation. Our world could use a little new creation, couldn't it? In fact, I look in the mirror and I could use a little new creation. Uh, let's be honest. And the truth is, it's already been done. The Christian life is learning to live into what is already true about us. It's what's been done. It's not fully realized yet, of course, but you are in Christ, a new creation. And that's good news. It's not even the best part. The best part, the most liberating, the most joyful part is that it's not about you. It's not about you. If it were about you, then you're a new creation. Better not mess it up. But you know what? Paul says that this new creation, good news, is all because God has reconciled himself to us. And that, friends, that's the heart of Christianity. That is the bedrock foundation. The one who can set the world to right. The one who can heal our hurting hearts. The one for whom we were made has reconciled himself to us in Christ. That's the essence. That's what makes us Christian. It's his gracious and loving work. It's his saving action. Now, I don't know if that was your answer, but that's the essence. God Almighty has not demanded with arms folded that we make our way to him by being squeaky clean, but rather he built the bridge to us in the womb of a virgin. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has reconciled himself to us. He's declared you to be his own. He has set our relationship to rights. And he's even engaged all of us in his work of reconciliation. And where we see this, of course, this lavish, this reconciling uh, heart is in the Father in the parable. In the parable. Well, we have, we have two sons, right? We've got a rebel and we've got a nerd. And so the rebel demands his... Uh, his share of the inheritance before his father has died. Now, I mean, that's, you can just think how just, especially in this patriarchal society, like how disrespectful, how just 
awful this way. He's essentially saying to the father, you're dead to me. And rather than kicking this rebel, uh, this disrespectful kid to the curb, the father unbelievably and graciously gives him what he asks for. And the kid blows it. And it's not like he, you know, tried hard and made an investment that went sour, right? I mean, he, he blew it on booze and prostitutes. He blew it on his own wild hairs. And, and so he's left with nothing, and he, um, you know, he doesn't have any employable skills, and so he gets a job feeding pigs. And, of course, pigs were unkosher, and that would have been just the worst, the lowest of the lowest of the low jobs in, in, in the eyes of any self-respecting Jew, which is what Jesus is trying to, he's making up the story, but he's telling this incredible story. They would have just been horrified. And so the kid wakes up, the rebel wakes up in pig slop, and he's starving. And he wonders, you know, if I show back up at dad's, maybe I can get a good meal. He is at rock bottom when he heads home. And he's, pract- he's practicing his speech, isn't he? I'm sorry, Dad. I've just. And I love, I love, love, love how Jesus tells the story. Because he says, while he was still far off, and, and friends, that is not a geographic statement, it's a spiritual statement. Because the rebel still smells like pig slop. Right? He, has, he has nothing to show for himself. He's got nothing to offer the Father. The rags that he's wearing are a testament to his immorality and his irresponsibility. And the Father sees him while he's still far off, and he runs to him. Did you know that Middle Eastern men of that era they did not run? <laughs> it is completely undignified. He ran to his son, and he doesn't say, give me my money back. He doesn't say, let's run through the list of everything that you got to apologize for. He doesn't, he doesn't even wait to hear the speech. He just throws his arms around his son. He hugs him and kisses him and welcomes him home. And he welcomes him back into the family with his own robe and his own ring. And no questions asked. And he throws him a big, fat party. Why? Because the heart of the father is to be reconciled to his child. The heart of the father is to be reconciled with his child. This rock-bottom prodigal son had everything to gain, didn't he, by going back home. He had food, shelter, employment. Whether was he really sorry, or was he just trying to was he just hungry? We don't know. But the father had absolutely nothing to gain by running to his son except for the son himself. He just loved him. He gained his son back. The son was not defined in the father's eyes by his mistakes or his self-centeredness. He was defined by his status as a child. He's a new creation now. The old is gone. The new has come. What about about the older brother? The other son, the goody two-shoes nerd who did everything right uh, who stayed home, who, who tended the farm, got up early, uh, who obeyed all the rules. What about this guy? It turns out that his heart is just as far from the father's as his rebel kid brother. 
right? Because it turns out he was not following all the rules because he loved his dad. He was following all the rules because he loved himself. He just wanted the stuff. He's furious at the grace of his father to his brother. He's enraged that the wasteful, disrespectful son would be given anything, much less celebrated for crying out loud. Why is he so upset? It's because he has worked for what the rebel son was given. He thinks he deserves it all. It never occurred to him. The father would have given him everything anyway freely because he loved him. The elder brother was a slave to his wrong perception of the father. He assumed the father's heart was like his, greedy and demanding. And so he doesn't honor the father's decision to throw the party. He doesn't uh, celebrate his father's gracious heart, much less celebrate the return of his lost brother. And all this shows that the elder brother is also separated from the heart of the father. And he can't see his own fault. He refuses to come into the party. Now the younger brother, the rebel, he, he could see, even he and all his, his in the pig slop, he could see that his life and he could see the distance that he had taken his own heart from the father. But the elder brother could not see his own fault. Because self-righteousness is a much more difficult sin to diagnose. But what does the father do for the self-righteous nerd? He runs out to him. He leaves the party and he pleads with him. Why? Because the heart of the father is to be reconciled to his son. Now friend, I don't know if you are more prodigal son, I don't know if you're more elder brother. Or, if like me, you are a strange cocktail of both. <laughs> and maybe you're in the pig slop of life and you're ready to wake up. Maybe you are standing outside the party and for some reason you're furious at the father. Either way, the heart of the father is to be reconciled to you. The heart of the Father is to run to you. And so the, that's the, the first and more, most important thing is come into the party. Be reconciled to God. That's St. Paul's plea. That's Jesus' plea. Lay down your rebellion and your insistence on your right to yourself. Lay down your self-righteousness and your self-justification your sense of deserving, and just enjoy the heart of the Father. Paul says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's his heart. That's what he wants because he loves you. And so that, if that's where you are, please, please, please be reconciled to God. Any of your clergy, we would love to talk to you about it. Love to talk with you. But what if you are reconciled to God? You think, well, okay, I've got that, so let me work on my grocery list. No. Paul says, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. 
And so one, if we have been reconciled to God, one way that we testify to our faith in the God who has reconciled himself to us, part of living the life of a new creation in Christ is by seeking reconciliation with others where we have broken relationships. You were wondering when this is going to become a Lenten sermon, right? Now, now's the time. We seek reconciliation. You see how this is not part of a moral code, right? Because it's, it's not us making our way to God. It is uh, the fruit of God having made his way to us through Jesus. God has reconciled himself to us, and therefore, as we embrace that reconciliation, part of the fruit of that new creation life is that we seek reconciliation with others. We do not stay in the pig slop of brokenness. We do not stay out in the field of unforgiveness. We move towards those with whom we are still far, far off with the heart of the Father. And i got to tell you, like they may not be ready. That's not up to you. They may reject your kindness. That's not up to you. I've, I've had successful reconciliation, but I've also had times where letters or emails or phone calls have gone completely unreturned for years. Some, some are still out there. And, and as far as I, like, my job is not to make sure they respond. I don't want to badger them. You know, my job is to make sure that before God, my heart is open, that before God, I'm not resentful, but I love them, and that they know it. My job as one who has been reconciled to the Father is to live according to the heart of the Father. And so maybe you might think, well, I'm, just, I'm not ready for that. So what do you do? Well, you go back to your own prodigal ness or your own elder brother ness, and you try to get, we, we want to get that part, part of our heart into the party. Because reconciliation is the heart of the Father. In fact, reconciliation is the heart of Christianity. The old is gone, and the new has come. Be reconciled to God. Amen.